much for being on this. It's been so long since we've talked, but I'm really excited to hear your story. So yeah, I guess first, you. will you kind of do a quick intro? Erin Rackham. Billy and I went to high school together and <laughs> then I went off to school. She went off to school. I did my undergrad, graduate, master's and PhD all at BYU in Utah in marriage and family therapy. And then I went on and I've just done private practice. I see clients. Uh, I specialize in trauma, all that that entails. And I have two kids. I had my son, who's now five, and my daughter is four. And I had them both in that PhD program. So I'd already had my master's. And I think it was my second year of my PhD. I had Bennett. And then immediately after we had Olivia. So they're only like 14 months apart. Can you tell me some more about your current family situation? Yeah, so it's been interesting, of course, because COVID makes everything different. So Bennett has an epilepsy. He has a seizure disorder. So he was always at high risk with COVID. So we've been really locked down. Um, and we've had to have just a nanny who comes and she's also high risk. So we're all, we are just in this very tiny little bubble. Um, mm-hmm. And throughout the whole pandemic, my husband, I think he's had three different jobs, actually. We started the pandemic and he was working at a company here in Utah. Um, and and moved to work from home and then he switched jobs pretty quickly and was still working from home Um, and then now he's at a company here and they're working on it's like a they're creating a battery and it's a way to store solar energy for houses so that you can run your house off the grid completely trying to get clean energy to residences so that's what he does did you do your phd in something similar to what you work on now Kind of no. Um, I mean, yes, because it's all therapy, but no, my dissertation was specifically on pornography. And by the end of my dissertation, I was like, I literally could not care less about this problem. So, and because I was seeing clients at the time, a lot of my clients were here with trauma, sexual trauma, specifically religious trauma. We're all LDS around here. Most of us are LDS. Mm -hmm. So once I was done with the PhD, I was like, I think that's more where I want to focus. Yeah. But I didn't fully commit to that until recently, just the last couple of months. So it was about a year after I graduated. I love kind of the line of work you're doing. I think it's so important. And so many of my friends who have recently gotten married or are thinking about it, like we were just talking about how, you know, me and my husband recently got married, but how critical that is and how much people have benefited from seeing someone kind of in their marriage or in their early family building life. Um, And I just feel like you, while we are interviewing just a few people on this podcast, you've probably seen so, so many stories. So I was really excited to get to talk to you. There's a lot of different conflicts I think that can arise in a marriage. And it sounds like you specifically focus on trauma and on sexual violence or on things that have happened in their lives or religious changes. Um, But have you seen this topic play in a role at all in people's lives or in the counseling that you do? Yeah, like having a baby, the transition to parenthood. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. With clients, with my own life, with this research study specifically, it's fascinating actually. So I'm researching women who who were raised in the Mormon church and have sexual trauma. So they have some kind of sexual abuse or sexual assault. Um, And I ask all of them at some point, like when did kind of like the rubber hit the road? Like when did symptoms start to show up for you later in life? Because a lot of times it's like, we sort of just suppress it and we function. Mm -hmm. And then in adult life, it becomes a problem. And almost every single one so far has said, um, it was when I had my first child. 
like after they had their first baby. Oh, interesting. Is when all this trauma came up, which actually matched my experience quite closely as well. I feel like I don't, we're not sure. I'm still not sure. I mean, I'll have to see what comes out in my data. If it's about the identity shift of like, now I'm a mother as opposed to whatever career I was doing before. And now I don't feel as fulfilled. Like most of them didn't feel as fulfilled as before. Um, And in the Mormon church, it's like pretty heavy handed. Like if you're a woman, you're supposed to be home. You're supposed to stay home with your kids. You're not supposed to really be working. and so for a lot of them, like they really lost their whole identity and. Oh, I see. So there isn't really that stipulation. Cause I don't know as much about this at all that mm-hmm. you should be more at home before the, before having kids, but then afterwards it's a normal thing for people to peel back or kind of give up the prior career that they were doing Definitely. once they have children. Definitely. Oh, interesting. Or drop out of school. A lot of them dropped mm-hmm. out of school never never graduated whatever that was mm-hmm. and so they would go from like using their minds mm-hmm. to this very mind-numbing rewarding in other ways but you know changing diapers not sleeping breastfeeding it's yeah quite uh torturous after a while you know it can it can start to feel really especially in this community where people just have baby after baby after baby after baby and yeah. it's like their bodies are wrecked there's not enough time there's no time for self-care yeah. And I think, I think the biggest thing is that like, as I was listening to your other interviews, I was like, wow, these are such different experiences because I can hear, I can hear there's a very natural baseline in your relationship and in the relationships you've been interviewing, it feels like of gender equality or like mm-hmm. an attempt at gender equality. Yeah, definitely and, an attempt. <laughs> yeah, at least an attempt or at least an awareness of like, we need to have yeah. these conversations of what does the paternity leave look like? Whereas yeah in my community here, no one takes paternity leave. That's like not a thing. Like it's just not expected that if you're a woman, you obviously will be the one who stops working. You obviously will be the main caregiver. It's honestly not even a conversation. It just, it's, it just, that is how it is. And the problem is women start to feel like after a while, this doesn't feel very fair. (laughs) This doesn't feel very great. And I'm not very fulfilled. And you're yeah. still going off and doing your job and you have adult connections. Mm-hmm. You're talking with people and I am isolated at home alone with no human being to talk to. Right. And then that's when they end up in therapy. And it feels like they're like, oh my God. what's going on? Like, what's all happening? Sudden, I have no identity. He's not helping. And mm-hmm. so for us, there's a lot of like, we have to really unlearn gender stereotypes, gender expectations. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. like having dinner on the table all that kind of stuff that is like so think of the 50s you know the golden age the 50s expectations for women like that's still what it is in my community and so a lot of who I work with in therapy is like I'm trying to help these couples get to a more equal balance these women that I'm interviewing are in their 40s 50s like later in life their kids are raised And all of them are like, I just realized I kind of just following the path that society had laid out for me. And so I just kept mm-hmm. having kids and I got to the end of it. Mm-hmm. And now they're all raised. And I'm like, who am I? What was I doing with my life? Like, why did I keep doing that? I, I don't even know who I am. And it's wow. like heartbreaking to listen to that and watch that. And now they're yeah. finding their identities and now they're reclaiming. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know how to avoid it. I specifically read Fair Play. Um, by Eve something or other anyway it's this whole book about the systems I mean it's just she just like quantifies all the different things this is what what 
you have to think about when you have kids. You have to think about mm-hmm. their kid, their clothing sizes. You have to think about their feeding, whatever, all of the things that go into having kids, the holidays, the magic, the special, everything. And she yeah. goes through and she's like, you have to divvy up specifically who's yeah. in charge of these things right now, who's in charge of mm-hmm. these things so that it doesn't all fall to the woman because it all generally always falls to the woman or whoever the default caregiver is. So me and yeah. Dave have gone through that. That's been helpful to, to mm-hmm. be able to lay it all out there and be like, wow, that's a lot. Look at it's how many things there are. Labor. Yeah. It's so, yeah. I mean, it's so much and it just yeah. helps to be able to have language to say, this is something that I'm carrying that you have never even had to think about because I carry it for you. It's so hard. It's I'm like actually curious about what was your model? What did your parents say to you? My parents both worked when I was younger and then my dad went off to to really do his startup and was a lot more busy, especially in Asia. And that made it so that my mom just couldn't, like she just couldn't be by herself in the US and, and work at the same time. And I think that while she's kind of settled into the role now, I I don't know, I remember the day when when she decided not to work anymore. And I remember she was like really upset and it was very difficult. And there has been a lot of like this hope or pressure on us that we would really do so much in society because she'd given up so much of her identity to really be that caregiver. And and this was the product of her time and her success and things like that. And so I, Mm. I just, I think going forward and thinking about kids and stuff, I've always told Daniel, like, I really hope that I can see kids one day. Like I see my cats, I guess, like, I don't have any expectations for my cats. I just, they just exist and I have enough resources to support them and they don't have to do anything for me. (laughs) I I don't, I don't want this feeling of if my kids don't do a certain thing that I'll be so disappointed or that I need them to fulfill some part of my life. I don't know. I, I think I just have seen what it's like when you give too much of yourself and you're not ready. And I'm just trying to talk with all my peers and people who really are starting to do this and just get a sense of how are you navigating this or how are you thinking about it? And I do think that there are so many different layers of how much people have thought about it. Some people are like, I'm just going to do it and it's going to be a wonderful experience and it's it's going to play out the way it's going to play out. Because I see this not just among my friends, but I see this in my job every day. You know, Every day I like help bring life into the world and it's super exciting. I get to hear people's stories and there's a huge range of the way people see children, how they, how it plays into their lives. I love everything you're saying. Cause I just feel like all, all the things you're thinking through, I wish every parent could think through before they have children. Because <laughs> now I ask people, why did you have kids? Like, why did you yeah. have kids really? Because it's always, well, that was just what you do. That's just the yeah. expectation. And yeah. it's so heartbreaking to hear that answer. I think so many of us slide into parenthood. And I would say I probably did too, because I'm a product of my system too, where it was, you just never questioned, of course, you're supposed Mm -hmm. to have kids. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm on the extreme because I'm Mormon, probably definitely. This is your purpose in life. This is your highest calling. Like nothing matters outside of being a mom, really. Yeah. Um, That was very much in my, in my brain. And so I never even honestly, genuinely, I never even had the consideration that I might not want to have kids or that that could even be an option for me to choose not Mm -hmm. to have kids. But now years down the road, so Bennett's five, it's been five years. Mm -hmm. Now I've, I've had to deal with the ramifications of what it did to my body, what it did to my brain. I mean, my mental health, um, the trauma that it released for me, that it brought up for me, there's just a lot. And then, and then this constant, 
it's not fulfilling to me to play with my kids all day for sure it will never be that will never be fulfilling to me fully fulfilling I mean it's enjoyable and I love my kids uh, but I definitely need more but I personally have physical limitations and emotional and psychological limitations on holding too many plates at once, like doing a research project and being a mom and being a wife and a partner. And I am still five years later trying to figure out how, who am I separate from all of these roles? Who am I separate from being a wife, separate from being a mom, being a daughter who is just Aaron. And I got married really young. And so that's part of the issue is that I also slid into how old were you when you got married I was 20 I was 20 and it was pretty quick wow you were yeah because at BYU that's super normal when I talk to women now I don't know if you remember Emily Arnold from high school but yeah I remember I were talking the other day and she was like oh really you think yeah because we connected on this some of this stuff the religious construction okay just like our identity and what happened to us she was also in a highly religious community right right and she was like, do you think it's possible to like have kids and have time for yourself and not lose your identity? And I was like, <laughs> genuinely, That's I like a million dollar question. No. Yeah. And I don't know. And I never would have said that before. I always would have said, of course, of course. And it's like so joyful and it's so wonderful to have kids. And now I think I'm, I'm out of my religious conditioning and I can see a lot more clearly there might be some situations where it really is just not the right call like it's just gonna be too hard to balance everything or you're so committed to your career I don't know if I have any examples in my in my life that I can point to of people who have actually managed that like you said like years down the road the equality does start to slide it starts to get unequal because it always sort of just lands on the woman. It's always her career that gets sacrificed or almost always. Mm. I feel a really heavy responsibility. I think it is really hard to, to do both things, to have a really successful career and, and be very invested in it and very, very invested and engaged in the parenting as well. And not that it's impossible, but it's hard. It's hard and you never go back. I mean, you can never go back. It's never the same after you have kids and so it's a heavy thing and I think a lot of people slide into it without considering that did you feel like Dave had to go through anything like that in this kind of contemplation or this type of trade-off or how did he integrate with this with the struggles that essentially that you're having he's now got a ton of language and a ton of different perspectives and understanding of, of the inherent inequality that it is to be a woman in the workplace. So he's a much better boss to his mm-hmm. like female colleagues because he's aware yeah. of these like inherent unspoken dynamics that how could you be aware of unless you'd like had a front row seat to them. It's been a process over the last couple of years. And, and I feel great about our equality in the marriage now and, and the egalitarianism. Um, but there still is it's so deep in our DNA. It's so deep in our DNA. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a piece that I haven't really explored or really thought about. I've always thought, well, the way to promote more equality or everything else is to utilize these outside resources or to think about how work things can change or other things can change. But I think this idea that it starts with your mentality of what your roles are, what is there to do, and how would you divide up that responsibility? What are the implicit assumptions of 
what the woman's going to do, what the man's going to do, or what the primary caregiver is going to do, or what's considered, I guess, the secondary caregiver or the primary breadwinner, however you want to put it. I didn't really think about that at all, that like that mental shift may actually be the first step that you have that most people, like you're saying, don't have the time or don't have the impetus to really explore before they already have their first. And then as they look back, they're like, oh my goodness, this changed my life in so many ways I didn't expect that we, I think as a society, don't talk about. We never talk about this. It's always like, how are you going to prepare for what's going to happen with the baby? You're so preoccupied with what's going to happen with the baby. You don't think about how is this going to affect like the rest of your life. And and I think people older than you also don't help in the sense that they also say that. They're like, just do it. It'll be fine. Yes. It'll just work out the way it's supposed to work out. I get so mad at this generation. Just I get so it. mad. Yeah. I'm like, where were you women? Like, hello, you were all going through your midlife crisis about this very thing. And then you didn't step in and say like, hey, maybe you should take it slow. Maybe you should yeah. not do that. Like, maybe let me tell you my thoughts now as I'm in my fort. Yeah. Like people don't say that. They, they, nobody wants to say that there's anything that's challenging or bad or difficult or not yeah. Yeah. as um, simple as, as kind of parenthood or, or motherhood. It, it's just not a popular thing to talk about. I almost wish I was at the point later where I did have kids so I could hear this because I think that it would be, I would feel like that sense of kinship or I would feel that sense of like, yeah. oh, someone understands validation. me or there. Yeah, I would feel that sense of validation that now I'm like, well, you know, I'm thinking about these things already, but I don't have kids and I don't know that. Um, but I wonder if other people listening to this who do have kids will resonate with that. And I, and I wonder if it's something where like, you almost feel a little bit bad if you do resonate with that. Like I could, I could feel that way, or I could imagine feeling that way being like, well, I shouldn't have these feelings because you know, this is someone I love and this is a family I've built that I've loved and I've put so much sacrifice into it and, and done so much. How could I have these kind of what we would or society would label as like selfish thought, things that I want independent yes. of my kids and independent of my partner and, and all of these other things. But it's funny because I think in so many other parts of society or our lives, that's okay. You should go after what you want independent of even your partner. I don't think we'd have as much stigma against that if you're not supposed to be so-and-so's wife or so-and-so's husband, right? We've come to evolve and say, yeah, you should have your own interests and your own hobbies and passions. But in, in this sense, I wonder if you, what, what do you think helps you feel more empowered to be able to say that and not have that sense of profound yeah. guilt and shame and basically why nobody else will, will say some of the yeah, things. Yeah. Cause I, I do want to say I did have profound guilt and shame mm -hmm. and I have had that for sure. I actually, I think one of your other interviews, she said something like this, where her husband was, I can't imagine life without him. And she was like, really? I can. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, yes. That's right. yes. <laughs> I remember yeah. that. I and remember when she feeling said that, that. I was like, wow. I just, yeah. I, I remember when she told me that in person, when things are really hard and she was going through so much, especially with COVID and the nannies were all canceling and all of this. I was like, oh, oh my goodness, this was my first glimpse into what it really is. And it just gave me more impetus to be like, okay, I really want to explore this. I want to know what people are really feeling behind closed doors. Sadly, because I think, so what I have learned, and this so much of how I got to the point now where I come on here and say, yeah, there are times where I legitimately, I, I pine for my pre-kids life. <laughs> I truly do. I miss that. I miss that freedom. I miss the flexibility. It's because like at some point, I, I wish I remembered the timeline exactly, but um. 
I have always struggled with depression, anxiety that has been a constant companion for me. And with the postpartum and Olivia's pregnancy, I mean, that was just trauma, 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 just did not stop. I just threw up for nine months and it was horrific. And then the birth was also traumatic. There's traumatic things in that postpartum period. It was the lowest I'd ever gotten. I was really, the anxiety was out of control. I just had never experienced something quite so intense. And that sent me back to therapy, which was so good. And over the years since then, I feel like I've just done a ton of work to get to the point where I can say the things out loud that you're not supposed to say out loud. And once I say the things out loud, a lot of the power and their fear and their shame just get a lot smaller. Obviously, this is the Brene Brown shame can't survive it with light. You have to shine light on the darkness. Mm-hmm. So it was just in this most the recent year that I was able to talk to Dave and openly and be like, there are times literally where parts of me inside, I wish I didn't have kids. I can't do this. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be someone's mom. I don't want to be on all the time. Like when you have kids, you have to be on all the time. You have to be emotionally regulated most of the time. You mentioned a few times this awakening that you had. I don't know what happened. Can you talk a little (laughs) bit about this? What happened? So much happened. I just picked up on misogyny from a very young age because my mom did and it was a big thing and I could feel it and I could feel this like it just wasn't empowering and then I had these babies and I was in severe depression anxiety trauma PTSD like really bad headspace and then I finished my dissertation and it going through hell like I, I finished that dissertation in spite of all of the men on my dissertation committee who were horrible to me in my defense. And like, it was just like, there were so many examples of men in power feeling very threatened by a woman who was empowered. By the end, I was very disempowered. By the end, I was tiny and I was small and I was shrunk Mm -hmm. and it was not good. Um, And so I graduated and it was finally like I was free because I was free of the honor code live my life how I wanted to live my life and so that sort of freed me up to start just like questioning a bunch of things about the Mormon church and just acknowledging the racism the sexism the homophobia all of the issues I mean I'm a therapist too so obviously I'm like seeing all the harms Mm -hmm. of the church and all the harms of uh, our specific doctrines and things and I was just like you know we can't raise kids in this toxic environment like we just can't we can't raise kids who believe that women should be in the home or believe that men should have more power than them simply because they're men. Like, that's so stupid. We can't raise homophobic kids. We can't raise racist kids. Like I just, all of a sudden it all became very real, very quickly. Cause I was like, we have these little kids and we are responsible for not passing on bad patterns. And I don't remember exactly how it all happened, but everything just sort of just started to fall apart. And eventually I left the church and that was wonderful for me, like Mm -hmm. so liberating and empowering and freeing. And it's kind of just been uphill from there. I feel like since leaving the church, it feels like, oh, empowered. And I don't need to play that role. I don't need to like perform in these roles that people expect from me anymore. I can just like be authentic, more authentic, which is great because that's all I want for my kids is the same, the same thing you articulated. I just don't want them to feel like I'll be disappointed if they don't pick a certain life path or they don't, they don't amount to a certain thing or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, like I don't want to put that on them. And I started to realize so much of those expectations came from our patriarchal indoctrination and broader system, capitalism, everything too. 
but definitely specifically the Mormon church. So for me, unlearning a lot of those doctrines or unlearning those like internalized, uh, just internalized sexism basically has helped a ton because I'm able to say, yeah, no, that's not a sacrifice I'm willing to make. I can just say that. I don't think very many women in my community can say that to their husbands. I'm not going to take the kids for like an extra shift or extra hours in the week. Blows my friends' minds. Yeah, Dave takes the kids two nights a week and I'm not getting paid for the work I'm doing. I'm just doing it for now. Hopefully eventually I'll get compensated, but I'm just doing it because it's important work because it needs to be done and I'm qualified and I'm good and it's going to be good. But yeah, he still has to take the kids so that I can do that (laughs) so that it's equal, you know, so we have the space that I think the deconstruction has culminated in, in me being able to communicate. I don't want to be around the kids on Mother's Day and that's fine. Finding that balance basically kind of just reclaiming my voice. I think the biggest piece of this conversation that I just didn't even know was something that I wanted to talk about or that was so important is this part on how you, how you feel going into having a family and the roles that you want to decide on ahead of time. And understanding that there could be this piece of your identity that's totally going to change or shift, or that's going to be given up and that not everybody has this wonderful experience all the time. And that parenting can be really difficult and can be a lot of sacrifice and there can be regret and there can be just these negative emotions that nobody talks about. And that by starting to identify and talk about those negative emotions is the beginning of reclaiming more time for yourself that really you do deserve and that you need to like be a whole person and to be a whole parent. And that's not something that we give ourselves now. And I think I've been really preoccupied with this idea of, is it outside societal things that need to change? Is it the structure? Is it the, is it the, the daycare hours or is it something else? But I think this is a lot more insidious and it's kind of what is mirrored in society actually, that we put people in a certain situation and we say, okay, now it's all going to be fixed, right? All racism will be gone and all of sexism will be gone and all these horrible classism, Mm -hmm. everything will be gone. And it's not true. It's not like you just build it up and it's beautiful. 100% (laughs) because look at paternity leave. So we have unpaid time off. We have unlimited time off in most of the companies here. This is like a pretty big tech hub here in Lehigh in Utah. And, um, how many people take paternity leave? How many of those men actually take that paternity leave? Like yeah. not very many. And like when they do it, it's very short. It's mm-hmm. like a week, a week, maybe, maybe two weeks. If you're super, super like crazy liberal about it, wow. because it's, because it's in the blood, it's in the yeah. DNA. It's not going to change until I unlearn sexism. It's not going to change until I unlearn my disempowerment. I'm never going to actually be able to live empowered no matter what the systems are outside. But I think the answer is like, it's, it's both. It's definitely both. There's infrastructure that needs to change and there's societal support that needs to change for sure. But it's never going to shift. I mean, I really do feel like my personal belief at this point is it has to start at the individual level. We have to unlearn it ourselves because how can you even know what to advocate for until you can see a different vision? You can see it going differently. Like even you just saying, we, <laughs> my partner and I, we both, need to be willing to sacrifice our careers if we're going to be having kids. I'm like sitting here like, huh, is that even possible? Is that even an ask? Like, are you allowed to ask that? Because that feels radically different (laughs) to me than, than what is so coded in my DNA. Like it has to be one or the other, you know? So you have, yeah, you do have to start internally. I'm trying to think what your initial question was because I had an answer for it. 
before we went off a little bit more on like the societal external things. But I think you were saying like, how do you make this decision kind of, and, and not slide into it to get into yeah. this resentful place. Yeah. And I was going to say part of my own healing, which I kind of already communicated, but more specifically is I, I feel like there was an informed consent piece that was missing to this for me, mm-hmm. partially because the women, uh, like the generations didn't of tell you, who didn't talk about these things, right. They weren't yeah. honest. They weren't honest about it. Probably they're not honest with themselves. So how could they be honest with us? Right. But certainly there was a dearth of people, like they were not giving us the full information, but on an, on a deeper personal level, I think there was a lack of informed consent because I did not check in internally with my system Mm -hmm. as much as I should have when I was making the decision to get pregnant. Like it was very much the external, this is what's expected. This is what the path looks like. This is how you find happiness. You're depressed and anxious. Probably having kids might bring joy into your life. Like everyone says it does. I did not slow down long enough to talk to the parts inside of me that would have made it more clear. We don't like responsibility. We don't want to be responsible for people all the time. And I wish that I would have slowed it down enough. Even if the outcome wouldn't have changed, it might not have changed. I might still be in the exact same situation I'm in, but I at least would have had their permission. I would have had their consent, those parts, rather than just like blowing past them. I don't want to hear any of the potential negatives. I don't want to even address why I might not want to have kids. You know, like I think it's so crucial to do what you're doing right now to be able to listen to the parts of you that clearly are hesitant about having kids for a reason. You have to listen to that. You have to get their whole story. You have to understand whatever traumas it is that they're carrying so that you're not pushing past their consent to do something to your body and your life that can't be undone. You know, I think that's the main thing I would have done differently is just slow down I really wish I'd had a wise person in my life who would have just told me it's totally valid to not have kids if you don't want to have kids. And it's valid to have kids if you want to have kids, but make sure it's what you want to do. Make sure it's what you want to do, not what your partner wants. I think it's important that they're on board, but it's your body and it's Mm -hmm. your life that changes radically, like radically in ways that there's just never will. Yeah. And I think that that's something I actually didn't appreciate until I started working with women as they go through their pregnancy and afterwards, I still had a very strong, especially in seeing, you know, the, the type of equality that you don't like to have in our relationship. How could it be that in the, the pregnancy, it, it can also be that way as we're be- becoming so progressive as a society and all these things. And I just saw that biologically, unfortunately, it's not, it's really not as much as your partner wants to be there for you through your like hyperemesis or through your preeclampsia or through all the weight changes and all the breastfeeding and all the body changes and all the horrible, difficult things they can't. And they, they just, they are a bystander as you're there hospitalized going through this mental thing where you're literally stuck in a room, hooked up to a monitor for weeks, months at a time. And it really reiterated that to me that it's, that it's worth that extra, you know, days, weeks, months of contemplation because yeah. no one else is going to go through that the same way you will, not even your partner who shares in half of the DNA of this child. Yeah. And it's like, I think that that's okay. I think it can be okay that you have to be the one to bear that burden, but it is not okay if there's resentment, if there's 
I felt a little bit forced into this, or I felt not fully autonomous in this, you know, like when I look back on why it was so hard, I think it was because I was starting to wake up to these dynamics and I was recognizing like something is happening in my body. And I actually don't know that I gave full consent for it. You know, like I thought I did. I totally thought I did. Dave thought I did. But now that I see some broader dynamics, I'm recognizing I didn't because I didn't have informed consent and I didn't have all the options on the table, really. So I think if you do have all the options and you truly feel like it would be okay for me to say no to having kids, then that enables you to be able to say yes with full empowerment. So I think you have to feel like it's okay to say no before you can actually fully say yes autonomously and and be able to live with that decision. Yeah, yeah. And part of saying no is is talking about these reasons why you would want to say no and being okay with that and saying that's just as valid as the reasons why you would want to say yes. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of My Work, My Baby. If you or anyone else you know would like to be featured, please email us at myworkmybaby at gmail.com. We love hearing your stories and we're always open for questions or other comments. See you next time.